0: Hello, and welcome to Inside Policy Talks, the premier video podcast of the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, Ottawa's most influential public policy think tank. At the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, we harness the power of Canada's brightest minds to tackle Canada's greatest challenges. Learn more at mcdonaldlaurier.ca. hi everybody welcome to inside policy talks the in-house podcast of the mcdonald laurie institute i'm aaron woodrick the director of mli's domestic policy program and today i'm very pleased to be joined by dr kevin Bardash, the director and head of research at collateral global to talk about his organization and its central mission of researching understanding and communicating the effectiveness and collateral impacts of measures taken by governments worldwide in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. That's a mouthful, but I'm sure Kevin will break it down for us. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Aaron.
0: So maybe Kevin, we can start a bit about you, what your personal background is and how you, be- you became, uh, how did you come to be a part of this uh, endeavor, Collateral Global?
1: Yeah, so I'm a medical anthropologist and I've worked on infectious disease control programs around the world for 15 years, um, so Africa, Asia elsewhere. Um, I've also been involved in epidemic response, so particularly with the Zika pandemic in Latin America. Uh, I led a, a large program in Haiti during that time and also the Ebola response in West Africa and also the Democratic Republic of Congo. And during that time there's there's a large conversation about integrating social scientists in epidemic and pandemic response. And so I was involved in a number of large projects trying to do that with WHO, UNICEF, and other international organizations um, during during sort of pre pre-COVID times. And then when COVID happened, um, it, it felt like a lot of that those lessons about not disrupting society and building trust and, and not having, um, you know, heavy handed mandates um, and, and sort of emergency laws, that approach was sort of thrown out the window. And what we saw emerge was this biomedical model, um, borrowing uh, metaphors, but also actual strategies from from the military. Um, and um, you know that's always been part of public health, but we really saw it ramp up during COVID. And I, mm. periodically during the sort of two two plus years of the pandemic, I kept on thinking things were going to go back to normal, but they actually kept on getting worse. And it was really when the COVID vaccine mandates um, took off in North America that I, I wrote a couple of papers that become became quite well known against the mandates. Um, and then I did a, a a review for Collateral Global on the harms of lockdowns around the world on everything from psychological impacts, business impacts, um health impacts, et cetera. And uh, through that work, we've we've kind of grown to the place that we' we are right now. Um, and I can just kind of that kind of dovetails into the story of of collateral yeah. Global itself, um, which has a, a, an interesting history. So, uh, many of you might uh, might have heard of the Great Barrington Declaration um, that was uh, signed in October of 2020 um, by uh, Sunetra Gupta and Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kulldorff. Um, Jay and Sunetra then founded Collateral Global a month later. And uh, as you mentioned, the, the sort of uh, the emphasis of the organization is on researching um, the impact of COVID policies. So in the GBD, there's a, a number of assumptions or, or, or um, kind of statements or claims made about the negative impacts of lockdown. And so as a research organization, our, our, our focus is on bringing, you know, scholarly re- research to bear on, on that topic of harm. And what we've seen is actually over the last couple of years is just there's an astronomical amount of academic research on the, the negative impacts of lockdown, but all the other sort of non-pharmaceutical interventions that were rolled out during COVID. And so it's, um, it's our um, emphasis to bring that uh, to the public, to, to the academic community, media, legal community and others.
0: Okay, and to go back a bit, I mean, you mentioned the Great Barrington Declaration. It's probably worth clarifying really what that was about for people. Some people say, well, it's this terrible. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, is my understanding is that it was essentially a view that rather than uh, rather than impose sort of society-wide measures, the measures that should be taken should be focused on the most vulnerable, the people who are greatest, at greatest risk and minimizing the sort of whole of society measures. Is that a fair characterization?
1: Yeah, exactly. It is. And in fact, I would say that that was the pre-2020 general consensus in the public health community. Right. Uh, I mean, there's some, if you look at the uh, document that the WHO produced in late 2019 on pandemic influenza, um, they list NPIs, and and in there, you know, they say, for example, contact tracing should not be done at any time. Any school closures should be very short lived, if at all. Uh, Lockdown was not on, on the table at all, you know, in the least. And so I would say the GBD, in many respects, reflected that consensus pre-COVID. But then we sort of we've had this whole politicization of science. And, of course, fear and panic does all sorts of things to people. And it's just bizarre that the GBD itself as a document was pegged as this right wing uh, conspiracy theory. Actually, that term was thrown around uh, on it for a long time. I mean, it's nothing of the sort at all.
0: So in other words, that you're saying that the GBD was essentially just conventional wisdom until the pandemic hit. And then suddenly all the rules changed and the GBD was framed as this sort of radical departure from the consensus.
1: Yes, it was. Hmm. Um, and simply because it was hosted by an American conservative organization that wasn't involved in drafting it. They just provided the venue. Right. Um, and it was a very convenient way to dismiss um, dismiss, you know, this position. And we have uh, now through uh, freedom of information requests, uh, you know, emails from Fauci um, and others saying, hey, we have to bring down these people, right? Yeah. Um, and it was a concerted media effort to discredit, um, discredit these scientists.
0: Yeah, very troubling. Um, I mean, we could talk a bit about how Collateral Global is advancing the goals, because it, it sounds to me like this is just a matter of measuring trade-offs, right? We We mm-hmm. went through a lot of sort of once-in-a-lifetime exercises, looking back now, sometimes it's hard to believe the scale and scope of some of them. Um, but at the time, you know, anyone who sort of raised their hand is saying, okay, well, I see what you're trying to achieve, but there's a, there's a trade-off here, and people didn't want to talk about that. So is, yeah. that, is it really about trying to better understand, um, you know, the effectiveness of a lot of these measures, if there might have been a better way to do them, and whether, in many cases, they were worth it or not?
1: Yeah, no, exactly. That's it. So we we have a couple of different main main pillars that we focus on. One is on the, fe- the effectiveness of COVID policies themselves mm-hmm. on disease transmission. Um and then we also focus on the harms of these policies or the, Im- the societal impacts of these policies. And sure. th- there's research suggesting some positive impacts. For example, if you were in a in a um, a wealthier um you know uh, income bracket, you got to spend a lot more time with your kids. Sure. Uh, you got experience what homeschooling was like, etc. So we can't just
0: brush remote work for some people in terms of like yeah
1: yeah i mean it's it's a complicated like the whole world sort of paused and underwent this reshuffling and um but in general the harms in my opinion having really dove you know dove into the the research really do out um outpace the the, the positives for disease control and then also any societal benefits um yeah. so um
0: Maybe yeah. talk a bit about some of those. I'm guessing uh, education, mental health, uh, obviously economic. Is there any, anything I'm missing that sort of, when we talk about trade-offs, we talk about the people that were very upset about the measures, warning about it. Is there anything else that leaps to mind?
1: I mean, I'll bring up one one case, and this was just a study I saw just the other day, um, estimating that the um, recession, um, the global recession caused by lockdown, uh, is responsible for over half a million deaths in Africa, uh, including 150,000 children. And now that vastly outweighs any COVID deaths in Africa, which is epidemiologically really fascinating how the continent that you know, global, people in, in global health predicted would see the largest mortality from COVID actually saw very, very little. Right. Um, and if you look at, for example, poverty rates, uh, these are from the World Bank figures that estimate 400 million people drop below their national poverty line in 2020 um, and that hadn't recovered by 2023. So, you know, we we know that poverty has all sorts of long-term health consequences on families. And that's just one endpoint. You want to pick education impacts. There was a recent report by the OCDC, uh, a a European-based or French-based research think tank that estimates the current generation of kids might lose up to one or $2 trillion uh, in earnings over their lifetime because of the school closure impacts. I mean, I could go on and on, and a lot of this data is available on our website, where we've we've do, we've did, you know really dived in there, um, and it's hard for people to get their heads around just how how many different types of impacts there there are and um, the scale of of harm. Yeah. So that that's what one of the things that we really are focused on is enlarging people's imagination in that regard. Um,
0: and it's so, I mean it's important to that we take a global view of this because as you say I mean you mentioned Africa when we talk about the impacts in sort of wealthy countries like Canada a lot of people pointed to the fact you know governments could provide temporary support or resources right or that it's yes. a different it, you know it's a lot different for a, if you have a household income of a hundred thousand dollars you can right. afford to take a dent for you know twenty or thirty percent for a little while but if your household income is a tiny fraction of that and losing that it's it becomes a subsistence issue which is why I presume you know, places yeah. like Africa suffer, uh, you know, dramatically from the, from similar measures.
1: Yes. But even in Canada and wealthy countries, I mean, we're see we've, we saw astronomical debt accumulation, mm. um, uh, because of these furlough schemes and business, uh, retention schemes, the studies actually on the effectiveness of them. Many of them show that they were not very effective. They were not delivered uh, to firms or to households that really needed them. Um, and they have all sorts of downstream economic impacts as well so it's it's this assumption that we can just pay people to stay home um it's very problematic from an economic standpoint
0: yeah no argument there um i want to talk a bit uh, if you don't mind about a piece you you published through mli that called for a for a full inquiry into the covid response I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what you think the odds of that actually happening are. And, and there's been a few efforts in Canada and Alberta, for example, uh, mm-hmm. sort of, I think, like a people's inquiry. Um, any thoughts on those sorts of things and, uh, and, and whether you, I guess, whether you see any realistic prospect of, of a major inquiry happening here in Canada?
1: Yeah. So I think public inquiries are, are important. They can serve a very important function in, in, in holding um, decision makers to account. Um, I followed the UK COVID inquiry quite closely um, for an online British newspaper called Unheard, and this started in June of 2023. And it's quite a large public inquiry. In fact, it's going to be the most expensive in British history, estimated to uh, to cost up to three or four hundred thousand. Uh, sorry, three or four hundred million pounds by 2026. Um, it's an independent inquiry, um, and there's a fundamental problem with this inquiry, which is that it takes the uh, the assumptions of COVID uh, scientists, so scientists who advise the government on COVID uh, measures, and assumes that this that these are true, that lockdowns, for example, stopped, stopped infections, that they were necessary, um, that mask mandates were necessary, that school closures were necessary. And, and so they, they take these as axiomatic. And when you do that, you're not actually really um, shining a hard light onto how these decisions were made and whether they were justified. So in my piece that I, that I published with MLI, I'm saying if Canada and Canada does need a COVID inquiry, but when it hopefully comes, it needs to take, take those assumptions, right, and flip them on their head. I mean, that's the whole yeah. function of the public inquiry. Was the government correct in its policy uh, choices, right? Sure. And, um, and, and there's a problem there, which is this. And this actually reflects on, on my community, global public health or public health. Uh, a lot of the scientists that will testify at that inquiry, and this is what happened in the UK, are the ones who were responsible for recommending them. So you can't have the same scientists who recommended lockdown then be called upon to evaluate lockdown, right? Sure, sure. Um, it's just fundamentally a conflict be of, interesting. of right. So, and this is what we're seeing around the world. And in fact, um, Canada has su- supposedly, in, in, in great secrecy, um, brought a British scientist um, called Mark uh, Sir Mark Walport, um, and he led a Royal Society commission um, in, in the UK looking at the impact of COVID measures. And the, the Liberal government has supposedly brought him to chair a, a, an evaluation in Canada, but there's no, um, there's no public uh, announcement about this. In fact, Conservative MPs in Parliament had to ask uh, the, 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 the Liberals in, in one of the sessions whether this was true. It was rumours. And it's now come out that, yes, he's he's been brought to chair a, an evaluation in Canada but nobody knows who's on the evaluation committee. And supposedly they're coming out with uh, some sort of a uh, document in a couple of months. And this is just not very helpful for accountability and transparency.
0: Right. Right. And I mean, let's be clear, it's not just about, uh, you know, holding people to account. It's about learning important lessons that we want to know for the future. Right. So I can appreciate how any government uh, that was in power during COVID is going to be reluctant to, you know, do a full open kimono on right. their decision-making, but, I mean, if you think about this going forward, it'd be very, very useful to know whether yeah. these things are effective or not, uh, In you know, so that we can be ready for the next time something similar happens. Hopefully not too soon, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, when I say accountability, that's what I mean. I, I mean uh, accountability for the policy decisions themselves. Um, so,
0: yeah, fair enough. Um, and what do you, I mean, uh, do you have any thoughts on, there's been a few sort of smaller efforts here in Canada. We saw one in Alberta um, yeah. I mean, these are probably not at the scale that you're thinking of, but do, do you see a, um, and do you see, do you see any interest out there from sort of across the political spectrum, or is this going to be something that once again is just framed as, well, it's just disgruntled right-wingers yeah. and people who weren't in power that are just trying to score political points against the government of the day?
1: Right. Well, so taking the last question first uh, that's a misperception so people who actually are uh do have skepticism about the mainstream policy uh decisions that were made are not right or left they cut across the the, the spectrum and and often they're, they're the people who just want to bring critical reasoning and debate to these large unprecedented decisions that were made across our country right and um and and that's an unfortunate sort of you know narrative that's taken off um uh in terms of uh Efforts in Canada. I mean, the National uh, Citizens Inquiry, right? They they were a, a, sort of an, an independent public inquiry. They visited seven cities around the country, had hundreds of witnesses. They've produced a report. It's a, and and all of the testimony is available online. Uh, no mainstream Canadian newspaper covered this, um, and so I, I, I'm not really sure what the what what the impact um, going right. forward is. Um, You know, our efforts at Collateral Global are focused on the academic community in in many regards, right? We want to crunch, we want systematically review the evidence that's been published in Canada and critically inspect the assumptions and and the parameters that are used in those studies as well. And uh, I think that that's something that the Public Health Agency of Canada needs to to be involved in, right? Or you would think that they would be involved in. The Canadian uh, Institutes for Health Research, SSHRC, and a lot of the other uh, academic funding bodies in Canada. And I, I just, I, I do think that they need to be more receptive to fund research that's critical um, and, uh, you know, seriously investigates the impact of the policy decisions.
0: Right, right. I, um, uh, one last question here before we tie it up, but I, I wanted to ask if there are any good global examples that you've seen or that you would, you would, you know, propose as a template for Canada. I know you mentioned the one in the UK, it doesn't sound like given yeah. the, uh, what they're taking as x but have you had uh, any success anywhere? Do you see any promising signs anywhere that any government is going to take you up on?
1: That's a great question. So we're just starting to launch these countries. So we're, we're launching a series of country working groups. So wow. UK, Canada, us, but also Italy, Germany, uh, Ireland, India, South Africa, Lots of different countries around the world. And so I guess I'll, I can have an update for you in a couple months. Uh, early days, yeah, it's in early days here. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of interest, though, and uh, we'll we'll see what impact you know we have going forward.
0: Well, I think it's a very important initiative and hats off to you for pursuing it. Um, I think perhaps optimistically, the further we get away from the pandemic itself, the more openness there may be as people sort of reflect on what an unprecedented period it was. So thank you so much. Uh, this is Kevin. Uh, talking with Kevin Bardos, Director and Head of Research at Collateral Global. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you all for tuning in to uh, MLI Inside Policy Talks.